Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. You are listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 wherever you are on the Faith FM network. Maybe you're listening on the internet this morning. Look, we're not sure where you are, but what we do know is that you are listening to us, myself, Lawson, and my wonderful, amazing host, Matthew, who's here with us this morning filling in for Danuta. Matthew, how are you going, bro? I am feeling great and wonderful and pumped up with oxygen because I was able to do my exercises this morning. Oh, epic. What kind of exercises do you do? So just your basic calisthenics from your chin-ups, your Uh, push-ups and your sit-ups. Oh, your chin-ups? Yeah. Dude, how many chin up? Maybe, maybe that's too. Maybe that's too revealing. Maybe that's too <laughs> exposed. I'm like, man, I, I, I exercise. Uh, I'm uh, my exercise isn't. It's more. It's more incidental rather than <laughs> formulated. Uh, you know, whether it's like, you know need to ride my bike here or there or, or wherever or like bend my bike. I mean bicycle or yeah. whatever it may be. But oh, mate, that's fantastic to get some some movement in in the morning. Did you eat breakfast this morning as well? I, I eat twice a day. Okay. So I have a late uh, breakfast. Late brekkie. And a late lunch. And a late lunch. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I Danuta really gets on me, actually. She's like, Lawson, you don't eat breakfast? And I do eat breakfast. It's just after the show. Because if I eat too early, I feel sick. Like I get, I'm in that boat. I get nauseous. I feel like that's a thing for probably for lots of people. But I know for a, for a bunch of my friends who are fellas as well, like, I don't know if it's a guy thing. But I just know for me, if I eat too early, I get nauseous. So How about I? ask kindly when you go to preach uh-huh. do you eat before never me too. never ever 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 do i eat before i preach yeah. i because i get so nervous i get nervous i get so nervous <laughs> like we do faith of every morning and we're talking to the radio waves and whatnot but but preaching up the front you know seeing the eyes looking back at you <laughs> like whoo man it's it, it gives you the it gives you the shivers it gives the you the quakes but hey look we're living our best lives we're yeah. here on the breakfast show and we are so glad you could join us this morning as we uh have a look at all things Positively Different Radio. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, Positively Different. Today you are listening to The Breakfast Show with, with myself, Lawson, got the amazing Matthew on the mic. we got producer Shanna in for us as well, filling in for DJ Shell. And you are listening to The Breakfast Show where we are going to have our first quiz question for today absolutely and that question is where did jesus grow up oh man we we have been giving them layup after layup these intense theological questions well well, no well (laughs) sure i i I, maybe it's a different standard for everyone nah maybe hey maybe you don't know where jesus grew up this morning and and we want to give you liberty maybe you're not a regular church attender maybe you're someone who's very new and unfamiliar with the bible and we want to give you some some liberty there to be able to to look up some answers but if you are a regular church attender if you're going to church every week we would wholeheartedly encourage you that you use that big brain of yours to try and work out these answers and this one is simply this where did jesus grow up and it's not that easy i mean he grew up in infancy in different locations Mm. oh that's true that's true definitely i would say we do characterize him with growing up in a in one particular like highlighted no uh, you know location in fact it was said of him because people understood where he came from can any good come from that place yeah that's right so hey if you know where that is zero four nine one zero six four six six nine our prize for this week the amazing 
Unveiling the Kings of Israel, Revealing the Bible's Archaeological History. Hey, when it comes to the Bible and archaeology, Matthew, for you, is that something that you've looked into a, a lot? Absolutely, because historicity mm. gives accuracy, especially to you know, Bible uh, rep- you know, authenticity-wise. Yeah, actually. absolutely. And having the good fortune of working on the Tut Roadshow uh, with my employer, uh, Dr. Wayne French, mm. it allows me to show kids um, the different artefacts. For instance, uh, we have the bricks of Nebuchadnezzar. Wow, um, that's and, awesome! And they're original; they're not they're not replicas. Where we have a replica of the Cyrus cylinder, that is a replica. Mm-hmm. But I like to share, share in basic to the kids is that, for instance, the you know, story of Nebuchadnezzar is about Daniel and the enslavement of the Hebrew yeah. people for about seventy years. Where silent, um, the Cyrus cylinder helps to prove that Cyrus, who was predicted as God's deliverer for the children of Israel or the Hebrew people, mm-hmm. to be freed after those 70, 70 years captivity, and that's on the Cyrus cylinder itself. So yeah. that's the amazing privilege I have to wow kids into believing their Bible through archaeology. And that's been the incredible thing is that there have been uh, conclusions that have been made in archaeological you know, circles and scientific circles and whatnot that have intended to disprove what the Bible said. Oh. And then through archaeological discoveries like the, 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 the cylinder and all of these different things that they're finding, we find that they continually confirm the names and the locations and the situations and the events that happened in the Bible, and you mentioned Daniel there as well. You know, when it was, I, I believe it was, it was it the cylinder of Nabonidus where they were like, they were like, oh wait, Belshazzar's a real person. Before that point, they thought that Belshazzar <laughs> was a made-up character, which is you know Belshazzar of of Daniel chapter five fame. Uh, but it turns out, oh wait, he's actually real because we have you know real uh, evidence of him, and that's what this book is getting into. It essentially unveiling the kings of Israel, revealing the Bible's archaeological history. We want to give you this book for free. We are going to draw it on. Friday. And so, guys, the more answers you get into the quiz, the more chances you have to win the draw. Again, 0491-064-669 is our number. Where did Jesus grow up? Hey, Matthew, what is happening in the world of positively different news? Positive news. So I've got two stories here, Mm -hmm. and I'll have to shorten one for the sake of the second story. Sure. So I'll start it off here. It's a bit. This is the title of this story. Mm -hmm. Millionaire builds ninety nine tiny homes to cut homelessness in his community. Wow, I love that. Okay, so where is this guy? This is this gentleman is from Canada. He's a Uh Canadian entrepreneur. Uh-huh. Most of difficulty pronouncing that word. Entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, 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 we're on that. We're on the wavelength. We know what you're trying to say. <laughs> Absolutely. So basically, uh, he also provides jobs on this uh, particular site of uh, Tiny oh, Homes awesome. as well. It's so good. And this is what he has to say, or the story itself. It says, after selling his company for eight figures to a competitor, one Canadian entrepreneur is using his profit to build a community of tiny homes for those who need it most. Now, in the new Brunswick city of... Now, this is the word of Fredericton. That's mm-hmm. the place. His factory is now churning out one tiny home every four business days in a bid to create the 12 neighbours gated community of mm-hmm. 99 homes. And it's an enterprise, a centre to give homeless Fredericktonians a real second chance. Mm-hmm. Um, the 12 neighbours founder, Marcel Lebron, that's the gentleman who uh, did this good deed, he had a successful social media monitoring company previously. 
mm. which he sold to an American competitor and is now putting his new money where his mouth was. Wow. Every time he used to say, for instance, that something needed to be done about the homelessness problem in the city, and now he can. Now, mm. around 1,600 people in New Brunswick found themselves homeless for at least a day last year, as reported by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And he has mm. invested about believe it or not, $4 million of his own money wow. on the project to build Oof. 99 homes. And he's currently three quarters of the way there. Mm-hmm. So he's got grants and support from the provincial and nation, national government. And it's got the 12 neighbours, uh, the 12 neighbours community has received about $12 million in total. Mm. Now, this, these Tony homes, they have everything. You know, they've got the full service kitchen. They've got living and bedroom areas. Oh, full that's bathroom. awesome. Oh, they even have a small deck and solar panels on the roof. Uh, you know, and, and so it's you know sustainable. sustainable. Yeah, this is something that is incredibly needed in Canada. This is actually so funny. If you go and you look up like housing, you know, the top the top ten most expensive cities yes. in the world. Like number one is Hong Kong. You're talking about like one of the most space limited places in the world. <laughs> number two, Singapore again, tiny island. Number three, Shanghai, one of the biggest, you know, one of the most highest population density cities in the world. Number four of like the most expensive like cities to live in in the world in terms of housing price, Vancouver, Canada. Like Canada is notorious for high housing prices. Like we think we have it bad here in in Australia and Sydney and whatnot. Dude, Canada, bro, is like insane. Even though they have so much space, but in those towns, like the, the housing price is incredibly high. And so it's amazing to see that they're, taking steps here in, in Canada that, that, well, this entrepreneur, as you said, is, is putting his money where his mouth is and say, Hey, yeah, I want to help people in my community and they're doing it in a cost effective way. And I'm sure like tiny home, you know, the, the optimal thing is that you live in like not a non tiny home, you know, you could, you could move up to there, but I see this definitely as like a good stepping stone of providing housing for people who would just be living on the streets. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just got this last, last bit finishing off. It says here, in any case, the millionaire understands the baggage, emotional and society. Mm. that uh, some of the residents may bring along. So the 12 Neighbours community is equipped with state-of-the-art security and gates to stop unwelcome visitors. So I've linked it uh, to Revelation chapter 21, mm. 10 verse 12, where it says in the New King James Version, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending mm-hmm. out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Now, mm-hmm. unlike a castle, Brother Lawson, this is impenetrable yeah, yeah sorry a castle is meant to be impenetrable it's heavily mm-hmm. fortified mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, often surrounded mm-hmm. by a moat and having a drawbridge for a door in order to keep invaders out but unlike the heavenly city which is known as the new jerusalem as we mm-hmm, just read it's mm-hmm. a place that is completely opposite to a fortified castle as there are 12 pearly gates wow hence it is inviting anyone and everyone to come mm-hmm. in to a dwelling place yeah God. and we're talking about you know the real estate and in, in heaven is incredibly expensive. You know, the way to get there is through the death of Jesus Christ himself. Like, it costs the life of God to enable, you know, you to to have real estate in heaven. But thankfully, that real estate, despite its immense worth, is gifted to us by God. You know, Jesus gives it to us and has enabled us to, to be there with him. Absolutely. And my last story, I'm just going to make it short with the caption on top. It says, Woolworths offers... Affordable festive Christmas spread for $100. Oh, nice. To feed eight people. Oh. 
And awesome. I've got a verse that's related to that, which is Revelation 22.4. And God mm-hmm. shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, and no more hunger pains for that, Brother mm-hmm. Lawson. And um, there's no starvation, for the former things are passed away. Ah, oh, amazing. Hey, like, and uh, Christmas is such an inviting time. It's so good to, to have it, not only as a Christmas that maybe you have with your family, but also with, you know, maybe friends, maybe people that you aren't that close with who are, you know, needing, to, you know, somewhere to spend Christmas. I know that Absolutely. I've been in that position before and I've been incredibly blessed by yep. the generosity of, of church members and whatnot. So it's awesome to be able to, to get together on Christmas time, which is coming out very soon. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We are going to have our next question for the quiz. Gladly. So that next question is, what location does Jesus say to light a lamp for all to see is on a hill, out in the open, on a stand? We're on a roof. Yeah, okay, so multiple choice there. Where does Jesus say to light a lamp? Is it on a hill, out in the open, on a stand, or on a roof? So you have a one in four chance. That's right. Hey, if you know the answer to that one, it's 0491-064-669, our amazing prize for this week, unveiling the kings of Israel, uh, revealing the Bible's archaeological history. We want to give that to you absolutely for there's free. A, there was a clue I, f- I left out. So sorry, Lawson. It mm-hmm. says, look in Matthew chapter 5. Oh, was I supposed to read it? Ah, no. Uh, no. Okay. Nah, <laughs> the, well, hey, guys, you got an extra extra clue there. Again, what location does Jesus say to light a lamp for all to see? Is it on a hill, out in the open, on a stand, or on a Roof. If you know the answer to that one, 0491-064-669. Got a couple text messages coming through this morning. Good morning, beautiful people. That's from Sherry. And then David texts in. He says, morning. Well, initially he said, good morning, Shell, Lawson, and Matthew. Coming from David in Ellenbrook, WA. Happy hump day. But then he corrected himself and he said, oh, Good morning, Shanna. You know, filling in for DJ Shell. So awesome. Thank you guys so much for sending in your text messages and also your correct answers to the quiz. You're listening to The Breakfast Show this morning. And in my new segment this morning, yesterday I highlighted the fact that it was Reformation Day. October, October 31st, and it was over 500 years ago that uh, the 90, uh, the, the 95 the- theses yeah. were nailed to the door of Wittenberg, Wittenberg, Wittenberg yeah. and you know, it was kind of the, the official beginning of the Protestant Reformation, Reformation. There was, up until that point, you know, forerunners of the Reformation, such as Wyc- Wycliffe and whatnot. Um, but the, the, when those 95 theses, you know, hit the, hit that door, uh, it was it was the official beginning, and that started sparked from there in Wittenberg through Martin Luther a a movement that has trickled down all the way till you know us us sitting here today presenting on radio presenting uh, the biblical truth that was enabled through the through ultimately uh, being able to read the Bible, which was one of the things championed by the. Protestant Reformation. And he had a famous line, isn't it? The just shall live. The just shall live by faith, okay. quoting Habakkuk 2.4 there as well, which is, a bit, well, and as well as, as Paul quoted Habakkuk in Romans 2. But October 31st is also known for another event. A counterfeit event? Yeah. A, oh, a counterfeit event, question mark? Yeah. <laughs> that event, of course, is Halloween, which was yesterday. And I think we should probably use this time to, to give a yearly reminder that 
Halloween is bad. Yes. <laughs> and it's it's not something worth celebrating. Because the holiday in and of itself, both in its origins and in its current meeting, is just... So it's just ungodly, and it's it's against biblical truth. You know, when we look at other holidays, particularly Easter and Christmas, and wholeheartedly, like we would agree that, say, for example, Christmas being on the twenty fifth of December reflects pagan origins. Like it was originally, you know, the birthday of like of Tammuz. You That's know, is like the the sun figure in pagan religion, or Easter is like celebrating Ishtar, Ishtar. and you know, like fertility and, and those kinds of things, but. We have recontextualized those holidays into something that is a good time to remind people about the truth of either, for in Easter's case, the resurrection, or in Christmas's case, Jesus's birth. And mm-hmm. although it's like not the perfect thing, because we know Jesus wasn't born at that time, and we know that Jesus didn't wasn't died and resurrected on the the new moon of every so often or whatever, however the Easter calendar works. Uh, simultaneously, we also go, hey, this is a perfect opportunity to share Christ, like, and we should use it. Halloween, on the other hand, the way that we share Christ. Christ on Halloween is by denouncing Halloween That's right. uh, because ultimately, well, it's its origin, the origins of Halloween. It's got dark undertones. That's right. It's well, the, its origins find itself as just like Hollow's Eve. It's like this whole thing about or Hallow's Day. Yeah, Hallow's Day. The 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 barrier between the physical and the spiritual world is at its thinnest, and so therefore we can communicate with the dead. Mm-hmm. Now that as an origin is terrible. Uh, but then today, like, how do people celebrate it today? You know, they use it as an opportunity to dress up. But again, it's it very much going down that spiritualism line, the, 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 the horror kind of line of thinking and whatnot. And I just want to share with you so, this morning some, some verses from the Bible about spiritualism, about communicating with the dead and that whole topic. Because it's a time in which, like, people's attention to turn to that kind of thing. And then, People get involved with like the occult. going go, the occult, going and seeing mediums, and and going and uh, like you know the tarot card readers and all these kinds of things. And this is practice, and it's just, that is just totally denounced by the Bible and denounced yeah. by God to the point where God even calls mediums and spiritism and spiritualism like communicating with the dead. He calls it simply an abomination. Yep. Uh, and and in fact, like in the Old Testament, uh, if you were living in the theocracy of Israel and you ha- where you were very clearly informed as to the reality of the situation in which you should not communicate with the dead, uh, you would be given the death penalty for doing so, or, or for either seeking mediums or being mediums, like being a medium, you would you would receive the death penalty. And the question is, well, what's What's the reason for that, right? What's the big deal? Like, what, why is God so intent that, oh, this is such a bad thing? Well, uh, the likes of, you know, modern uh, reformed theologians such as, you know, this was highlighted recently by John Piper, who's a very famous modern reformed preacher and theologian. He's like, oh, the reason we shouldn't talk to the dead is because they're either in heaven or hell right now, so you can't talk to them. Uh, we would, uh, here at Faith of Heaven, would disagree with that conclusion. Jesus says clearly that the state of the dead is that of sleep. Uh, they are uh, our, our dead loved ones or relatives or whatever it may be are in the grave awaiting Christ's return, which makes it all the more obvious as as to why you shouldn't try to communicate with the dead. And that is that they're really dead. Yes. Okay, they are really dead. First and foremost, they are dead in the grave 
awaiting Jesus' second coming. This means that there is no opportunity to participate in any kind of spiritualism that isn't you just talking to demons. That's right. Right? And maybe you could say, oh, but what about when Moses and Elijah talked to Jesus? That is the only time in the Bible where people who, after their lives here on earth, communicated with those people on earth. And the reason they could do that is because, well, firstly, for Elijah, he didn't die. And secondly, for Moses, we can see uh, in the commentary that's made in Jude, the dispute over his body, that he was resurrected from the dead Mm -hmm. and taken to heaven. Moses is an example of those at the end of time who are dead and resurrected into eternal life at the the great resurrection of Jesus' second coming. Elijah is an example of those who are alive and translated into eternal life. And as both of those examples is actually a beautiful story that they both come to Jesus, you know, pre- preceding very his, his very soon death on the cross as an encouragement to him during the transfiguration that, hey, Jesus, you should go through with this because this is what you're enabling. Like, this is, this is who you are. This is what you're about. You're the son of God. You've come down here to save the world and, you know, go forth and, and give your life on the cross because it will enable the salvation of the world as evidenced in us. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of everyone else... They're dead. <laughs> They're dead in the grave. And so who are you talking to? You know, who was uh, King Saul talking to when he attempted to conjure up Samuel via the witch of Endor? You know, who, who, who are the de- like, like, who are the spirits that are inhabiting the demoniac and whatnot? No, it is not the spirits of dead loved ones or whatever it may be. It is imposters. It's, it's imposters. It's just demons, man. Like it, it really is. It's demonic. It's it's a negative influence, and it's something that we should just shouldn't celebrate or be involved with. I know Halloween was yesterday, but again, I feel like this is a fantastic time to make a, a yearly reminder. You know, we do live in Australia. We, you know, people are increasingly celebrating Halloween, and if you're in America, it would be even more pre- prevalent and whatnot. And when we talk about issues like this, we should, you know, take some tact about it and whatnot, not just yell at people that, hey, well, you know, you're, you're a bad person. Like, most people don't know, like, why it's wrong. I, I grew up as a non Christian. I thought Halloween was dumb because it was an American thing, and not like, like why are we even doing that in Australia? I was like, this is silly. Uh, but again, like, it was unbeknownst to me the, the actual implications of it that it really just is a negative influence it's something that we just shouldn't um, be involved in not only halloween but anything to do with talking to the dead or spiritualism and it's something that hey maybe you're involved with stop god is calling you to you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different hey matt can you get us our next quiz question? Happily. So that next question is, it's our third one. How many books in the Bible are there with only one chapter? Ah, okay, okay. This, okay, this one's a little bit more deep, a little bit more, a little bit more Bible knowledge. I'd say like meta knowledge of the Bible. You know, it's like, you know, there weren't chapters and verses originally in the beginning when they were, when they were originally written. They called them divisions, I believe. That's right. But hey, if you know how many books in the Bible are there with only one chapter, and if you can list those books too, then you'll be getting a entry into the draw for our amazing prize for this week, which is none other than the awesome unveiling the 
the archaeology of the Bible, you know, unveiling the kings of Israel, revealing the Bible's archaeological history. We want to, we want to give that to you absolutely for free. And the way to get in for that is to text us at 0491-064-669 with the correct answer to that question, which was how many books in the Bible are there with only one author? Hey, you're listening to The Breakfast Show this morning, and we now have come time for an interview, which we do every single Wednesday with our wonderful and amazing health expert, Jennifer Skews. Jennifer, are you there with us? I'm here with you today. Amazing. We are stoked to have you on the line talking about all things mental health and positive mental health and how we can improve our mental health and how actually that's something that God wants for us too. Oh, he does. He wants us to enjoy life. Even when there's trials and tribulations, he wants us to have the joy. So uh, we are to be, I believe, joyful Christians, even in our trials, because we know that Jesus is with us. Absolutely. You know, like the Bible and particularly the writings of Paul, you could say Job and Ecclesiastes Uh, is the originators of this, but I find particularly Paul's writings, you know, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 10, chapter 11, he's getting into all the trials and tribulations and uh, hardships he's been through and all the tears that he's shared and the stress that he's faced. But then it's also Paul who writes, hey, you know, seek after the peace which surpasses all understanding, you know, uh find find contentment in every situation. This is is a very Philippian-esque message, uh, you know, messages Uh that he has. And it's, and it's like, it's powerful that whilst Paul is like, yes, you're going to go through all this hardship. And even Paul himself is told, told in his call to be a disciple mm. that, hey, you're going to suffer all this stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, but I can suffer it with joy. And he said there, but light afflictions. When mm. he looks at his relationship with God and with Christ, it's, it means nothing. So mm. we have to do the same. Um, and one of the topics we've been looking at over the last few weeks is about our emotions. And um, last week we looked at what disturbs our peace of mind. Mm. So I thought this week we'll have a look at, because we get on that emotional roller coaster, and that's when we suffer. When yeah. we're caught up in our emotions. So how can we get off the emotional roller coaster? I don't know if you've got any ideas. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's like well, the concept itself, getting off the roller coaster is pretty uh-huh. pretty vital because I feel like when we stay on that roller coaster, it takes us to places we don't want to go. Oh, and then, yeah. And, and then we end things. up getting hurt. Mm. Yes, and do things we don't want to do. That's, that's it. That's mm. right. There's actually mm. a um, there's a saying, and it comes from like motorbike riding and car driving and stuff. And it's like if you don't drive the car, the car drives you, kind of thing. It's like yes. you know if you, if you if you don't put in the the correct necessary mm. inputs to tell it where to go, well then you know it's going to lead you off the path and you're going to crash and you know it's it's, it's not going to be good for you. But it seems the mm. same thing with our emotions and our emotional health. There's a necessity there to regulate and to put in correct inputs so that we can Mm -hmm. navigate our way through those issues. Well, it's a good example, like driving a car. Are you driving or is it driving you? And this is what Mm. we do with emotions. Are we in control of our emotions? Um, And can we ride that roller coaster without allowing them to dictate or are we uh, giving in to them and then end up, as we said before, doing what you don't want to do? Mm. We end up uh, selling ourselves out, basically. Um, And there's a very good formula that um, 
someone shared with me a long time ago and I've taken it and work with it because it's uh, it is biblically based and I know Ellen White has a lot to say about if you like her writings mm. and mm-hmm. the, the, the prime thing that we have to be have on the top of this equation is reason. So what is your reason? What, is, what does mm. it mean to be able to reason? Mm. If, Oh, well, to be able to, to think logically through the, yes. like, I'm, I'm thinking of, yep. of reasoning in that sense, you know, to, to yeah. say, hey, A plus B equals C, and, yeah. and how can I, how can I bring out an outcome from this situation that's yes. actually positive, uh, rather than, you know, negative? Yes, using our mind, which is usually working with the left side of the brain to actually mm. reason and think things through and make sense of it and make a decision. But you have to pair reason with conscience. Mm-hmm. Now, conscience, um, a lot of people might get a bit confused. What is our conscience? You know, people say, oh, it's that little voice I hear or there's that feeling in me that I know it's not good to do. Well, the brain actually has the capacity to, to discern, which is our conscience. And it's in the front of the brain, just in the forehead there, and it can tell us what is right and wrong. So it's actually a physiological part of the brain that activates. And then we have to make a decision, and this is where reason comes into it, Mm. And we have to then use the conscience. Oh, I know it's not the best thing to do for me, but oh, I really feel like it. No, I better not do it. Mm. We have this toing and froing um, unless you are listening to the conscience. And that's where God works. He works mm. through the conscience. The Holy Spirit works through the conscience. Mm. So if, if we uh, shut that down, we're in trouble. And I don't know. Well, you would have heard of people as how they have no conscience. Mm. You know, they don't, uh, they don't care. And there are actually people born without a conscience. It's not factored into the brain. They've done studies and found that uh, with children and found that some of them don't have a conscience, which means they can't um, sense what is right and wrong. They'll do whatever they want to, whatever they feel like. And that's where you get those dangerous personalities who can do anything they want to do. Um, yeah. Like the but, psychopath types. Yeah, who that's the extreme have no end. Empathy yes. and whatnot. Yes, yeah. But we can also shut the conscience down. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have found there was an interesting case of a family that adopted a child and it turned out he didn't have the conscience factor. But they were a loving family. They loved him. They taught wow. him love and how to love. And the brain factored it in. So that child could use his mind to do what is right based on learning how to love. Mm. So we must never say it's impossible. Um, the brain can do anything. We can wire the brain, so it's uh, which is a great thing. So we need reason, the capacity to think things through and think logically, and conscience. And how often do we do things? Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. There was something. That's, oh, I shouldn't have. I knew I shouldn't have, but I oh. did. And look what's happened. <laughs> Dude. How often do we go through that? Mate, well, drink a drink a lemonade, and then that's yeah. first thing that comes. Nah, nah, not always. But but yeah, what do I do that for? Yeah. <laughs> We're on that road lemons into lemonade. Oh yeah. man, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean that's a pretty that's a pretty like a, a small yep. kind of scenario. But yes. I, I think it, again, and people end up going down roads as as we've established when the emotions mm. take over that they really like they end up doing things that they really know it's like don't, oh this is this is against my nature this is against what i stand for this is I against know, what i'm I about i shouldn't be doing this uh, yeah. and, uh. but 
they've ended up doing it because they've staved off their conscience for yes. long enough for whether it's yes. a goal Not or listened. pleasure or whatever mm. it may be that they've they've wanted to get from that particular action. Mm. There is the, then that's the top of the equation. So we need to be functioning on that at the bottom of the equation because equations are proportions. Mm-hmm. We've got passion. So what if I say you've got a lot of passion, what do I mean, do you think? Oh, I'm like intensely like uh you know motivated and interested mm-hmm. in a particular topic mm-hmm. or a hobby mm-hmm. or a goal or whatever it may be mm-hmm. we can be passionate about something and a passion is an intense emotion mm. and i was reading about bark recently and had this incredible passion for god and to write music and yeah. he would write a major piece of music in a week he yeah, could wow. do it, and it was just incredible. And he'd he'd then use it and play it. It was like a sermon at his church. Mm-hmm. So his passion drove him to do amazing things, and God used it. So passion can be good, but it's also can get out of proportion if the appetite for what we have passion for in keeps increasing, and the emotions intensify. It can flip that equation. Mm. All right. So that means instead of running on reason and passion, go, reason and conscience, sorry, going, oh, I know it's not a good thing to do. I'll just step back for a bit. Mm. Um, and then I'll just let things subside and then decide what I need to do. Instead, uh, and we get the messages. If it feels good, do it. Oh. You know, that I felt so good about it when I did it, but it was the wrong thing. You know? So we can't rely. I call them fickle feelings. Yeah. We cannot rely on our feelings at all. We need to keep a check on them. And it's not about not having feelings. God's given us amazing feelings. Mm. You know, the joy we talked about initially, we can have good feelings, but when they override what we know and what the conscience is telling us, we're in trouble. We're on the roller coaster. Yeah, and often the convenience of making those negative decisions uh-huh. and, and then the result of them, and it, it, that's why it's, it's so easy to do so. I think of like uh, one that's just really apparent in my mind is like uh, – spending like like inappropriate mm-hmm. spending and yes. it's like it's so easy to go like oh i can get this i can buy it now and yeah you make, i really like it that's mm-hmm. right and you make a purchase that you realize like actually mm-hmm. you didn't need it wasn't a benefit to you and be up until the point you make that purchase you might even mull over it for ages and it's like oh i need this i like i need i i, I need this thing and then you impulsively spend the money Mm-hmm. And then you regret it, and uh, you, you know, and you've actually you've you've very drastically kind of damaged yourself mm-hmm. or your livelihood in a way. Yeah, yeah it depends. Some people different levels yeah. of money and whatnot, but because we work on passion instead right. of going to reason and conscience, and this is where people who sell products know that. Like a woman yeah. can go into a shop where they're selling dresses and things and they pick up and say, oh, that colour really suits you. You get the assistant coming over. Can I help you? Classic. That would look so good on you. And you're going to oh, it does. And they flatter you. And so this is how we end up doing what I call impulse buying. We mm-hmm. hadn't intended to buy it. We didn't go looking for something that we needed. We were just browsing. So one of the things I've learned, if I really like something, I think I really want that, I will go and maybe have some lunch, do some more shopping, do my grocery shopping. And then when I finished after about 20 minutes, I think, no, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. Because So take a break from what you're feeling really intense about. 
Mm. And uh, don't make a decision now. And even if you go home and think about it and look at, do I need it or don't I need it? Use your reasoning as well as the conscience. See, something's telling me I don't really need it. I've got so many clothes at home. What do I want another item of clothing oh, for? Yeah, for me, it's like <laughs> instruments and like recently I've been really into cycling and I've got this awesome bike and then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, what if I got another bike? Like that's, uh, that's different to the bike that I have right it. now. Mm. And, and I'm like, oh, and those slight differences justify its purchase. And I'm like, mm. why? And, you know, like I wasn't into cycling before, but now I need two bikes, even though before I had zero bikes. It's like, it's, it's just like. We it, want more and more. It's a consumer do, we world. Do, mm. We do. Mm. Oh, man. God help us. But, but what? Well, there is a solution, as, as you're saying right now, yeah, is when, yeah. we, when we can keep our emotions in check and we can take yes. stock of where we're yes. at, when we can slow our roll a little bit and say, Absolutely. and ask ourselves the, the tough but, but logical questions. Like, I, I love that too, like to question our logic on it. You know, to say, mm-hmm. hey, is this actually the smart move or the logical move or is this consistent with my character or what yeah. I'm about? And and that's why God speaks to us. Yes. Oh, it is. And this is the conscience working. But when um, passion increases, reason becomes emotional reasoning. Mm-hmm. And that's that oh, it feels so good. I'm sure, you know, we can even use God in the equation. I'm sure he'd want me to have it and do it. You know, we do all this what I call rhetoric or self-talk, chatter to ourselves to convince ourselves it's okay because we're thinking with emotions, mm-hmm. right? And this is where when you go into emotional reasoning, you're working too much with right brain at the cost of left brain. Mm-hmm. And the left brain thinking is supporting your feelings and it that's where the key to the door is to come back and it's be the what I call the observer versus the participant. Yeah. Step back from it and look and like we said, think about it more logically. Take time out. Don't make a decision then, whether it be a small decision or a big decision. If it feels good, it's probably not right on that level. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but sometimes and I find when you do listen to your conscience and you do get something that you know God wants you to get or that is right for you or you know you need it. It's a very joyful experience at the end of it. Mm. Oh, You're yeah, not absolutely. driven by emotions. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, like, and it's and it's often hmm. those things that, you know, you've had self-control and you've actually achieved and then you're really pleased. And it's mm. it's mm. great. Like Like it takes a lot of discipline to, you know, say like, have an exercise routine and it's like failing to listen to the conscience that would take you mm, away from that. Mm, but persisting mm. in that thing and listening mm, to your conscience absolutely. and saying, like, yep, I should go out and exercise or do my study or do well in my mm-hmm. work or read the Bible or pray mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Then we get to the end of that and we're actually like, wow, look at what I achieved. Well, that's the other one. Um, because I know a lot of Christians are listening to this program. Use mm. the power of prayer. Mm. speak to God about it and ask him to show you what you really need. And because he does provide, but this world is so consumer driven, we can be convinced we need something we don't. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. but the other side of it is if we're depressed, emotionally, we're feeling depressed. Our our emotional reason would be, oh, life is terrible and I'll never feel good again. And we do all the emotional reasoning, which is depressed thinking. Mm. So, and if it's biological, you have to fix brain first but if it's because of our circumstances it is fixable without medication because we're thinking that way mm-hmm. so the first one is to stop and recognize my emotional response to something 
Mm. Okay. And that means you know yourself better than anyone else uh, as to what your emotions are. But it's, it's, as I said, it's being the observer because emotions are often in the body. Like anxiety is if you feel anxious, where you're anxious in the chest area and all down there, you know, and it's, it's feeling suppressed if you're depressed. Then if you're joyful, you can feel the energy coming up. So, a lot of it is to do with physiology. Mm. So this is where recognizing the emotions in the body is a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us this morning and explaining how it is that we can well, basically live as God is intended to in an emotional sense. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.